0: Welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, bizarre, and disturbed films of the Video Store era. Tonight, we're talking about the strange 1976 unicorn video release, The Witch Who Came From the Sea. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland.
1: Listeners... Those who were with us at the start might remember that our first few episodes kind of had an unintentional theme. They all coincidentally just happened to feature, by pure chance really, through no grand design on our own accounts, films with traumatizing children as a central theme but hey it'll be throwback thursday by the time this set drops and we're gonna do a return to form with 1976's the witch who came from the sea which as of this broadcast can be found on youtube and Tubi for free it's also on Shudder, and that's when i stopped looking and then you like us will discover the answer to the age-old question what if american psycho was less about how empty consumerist culture turned 80s businessmen into apathetic monsters and more about how empty consumerist culture turned 70s new england fishwives who midnight as bar hop prostitutes
0: into apathetic
1: monsters i apologize in advance for that horrible segue i just i just don't know how to introduce this film
0: I don't even really know how to talk about this film. So this is going to be an interesting episode. Um, But since you brought up the child abuse, let's start here. Can you think of a film in which the childhood abuse uh, scenes are more difficult to watch than this one? So
1: this is episode 19, and we have definitely covered some weird shit so far. Um, But I would say this is probably the first film we've covered (laughs) that is enough to to make even us a little shook (laughs) just a bit like you can consider putting a content warning in front of this movie before you introduce it to to other people
0: yeah a lot of this episode like trigger warning right now we're talking about incest child molestation castration rape like uh, you name it it's it's in this one. Um, this was cons- this was on the UK's video nasty list. and some are kind of confused by that because it's not really gory the way the others are, but it certainly has the disturbing content down
1: yeah so uh most of the video most of the stuff we've watched that have been on that video's nasty list we we like scoffed at this is nothing like what is this like you know especially compared to like today's standards it's really not that bad
0: this has staying power yeah like could you make this movie now and do those no absolutely not (laughs) you don't even have to
1: finish that question
0: i don't know if you read this but so to back up, as I was watching the movie and I saw those scenes with the little girl and her father, I was thinking, like, I would never let my child do this. Like, this poor child filming these scenes, that was the casting director's daughter. He yeah. cast his own daughter. Yeah. That I wonder if that's because they couldn't find anybody else who they wanted to subject to this.
1: So I I had to see what else she had been in and apparently that was her stick being the the child to be traumatized in films although probably never again to the extent of this movie it's still strange that that was like the niche that was hollowed out for her uh before she also got into costume design
0: well the the her father was the casting director he was also one of the police detectives in the film but yeah i don't even know how they filmed those scenes and there's no way they would be filmed now yeah there's just something
1: about seeing big feet next to small feet and yeah i don't i don't know how to put it into words they're
0: yeah they're really difficult to watch um there's now just
1: to throw it out there there's no graphic uh pornography at all throughout this entire film
0: no Everything no is, implied
1: uh, implied much like uh, the last film we watched, the lighthearted, comparatively lighthearted,
0: faster <laughs> pussy cat kill kill. Yeah, but they're they're very heavily implied in this. So this movie was written by Robert Tom, who. Wrote and directed another movie I'm a huge fan of, Cult of the Damned, which is also known as Angel, Angel, Down We Go, which we will eventually do on this show. Um, but he's probably most famous for writing Death Race 2000, the uh, who's in that movie that I'm thinking is of. Is Rutger Howard in that film? No, uh, I don't think so. David Carradine is it. Yeah, it's, no. it's, it's David Carradine and Sylvester Stallone that that's the one he's probably most famous for and then it was directed by matt Sender, who oddly a lot of his movies were released on unicorn video but i know him for doing some black exploitation movies like lady coco and the black six i am not a fan of his other movies when i saw this one and i found out he directed it i was actually pretty shocked um because it's just a very different tone and type of film but anyway so i don't know if this is really characteristic of either of their work uh,
1: so my only experience with the, with this director is or this screenwriter is cult of the damned i don't think i've ever seen death race 2000 yeah and, and the director i just had to look up what else he's done 'Cause I do not recognize this name at all. And um yeah, his his entire career start was just a bunch of probably intentionally offensive pornography.
0: Yeah. Um Followed and by
1: I... the Black Exploitation films you were describing, somehow this, and then what looks to be on the surface, a bunch of normal titled films, but if they're anything like this one, um,
0: well yeah um (laughs) what else was i going to mention um let me tell you let me read you the back of the box and uh this might be one of the more lighthearted moments in the episode um just listen for what this box gets wrong all right
1: uh oh i I know what i was gonna say speaking of things the box gets wrong what's up with this awesome art on the front
0: (laughs) Oh, so we can talk about that. Um, The art on the front was taken by, uh, taken from Vampirella comic number 11 specifically, but it has Millie Perkins face like superimposed on the woman on the beach holding the scythe. And then it looks like she has chopped off her father's head. And it says Molly really knows how to cut men down to size which I think is the most sensational way you could have tried to release this. A little bit misleading, uh, but it is an awesome cover. Uh, I don't know how you would release this film more authentically, but I know what I was thinking to mention before, because it, it, it says here on the top that Molly is played by Millie Perkins. Yes. She, was, she was married to um, the writer at the time. Yes. <laughs> yeah and and apparently you wrote this for her yeah apparently uh, some of this is based on like her life like her father really was a sailor
1: I don't think any of the trauma was uh from her life though
0: I hope not but I think she does a phenomenal job in this movie
1: she does I was like yo this this woman looks really familiar
0: (laughs) did you recognize her from anything the
1: diary of Anne
0: Frank (laughs) Yep, she was the original actress to play Anne Frank, I think. <gasps> oh, but she was in a lot of stuff. Um, not a lot of stuff that I've I've seen or remember her in. But this was probably her most prominent role as an adult, I would imagine.
1: Um, if you look on her Wikipedia page, it completely skips over this title.
0: <laughs> well, this. I mean, this movie hinges on her performance, right? Like, it she pretty much is the movie. Um, yes. I think that, like, one thing I'm going to talk about in my review is I think she is intentionally great in this movie. I think the movie might be unintentionally great. I don't know how much of this is skill and how much of it is accidental. You know, the things I think that work about this movie. But she is... Um, legitimately great so here's the back of the box molly really knows how to cut men down to size literally as she amply demonstrates she is responsible for a string of mutilation sex murders that have been baffling the los angeles police for months it seems that as a child she was abused by her alcoholic domineering father and now grown up she fantasizes revenge of all similar men In some cases, the fantasies become overwhelming and must be acted upon. No one suspects, least of all her patient husband. And she continues blithely on dividing her life between murderous fantasies and an idyllic existence in their Oceanside home in Santa Monica. Eventually, her mother begins to suspect something is wrong with her daughter, but is afraid to voice her fears. Then, husband Lonnie Chapman wakes up one morning and finds his wife beside him covered with blood, not her own, and that another mutilated corpse has been found on the beach near their home. Reluctantly, he begins to piece together a terrifying picture of murder and deprivation. By now, the police are also zeroing in. In a final touching scene with her children, Todd and Tripoli, Molly reveals her true self, and after sending the boys away, commits suicide.
1: I feel like whoever wrote that left the movie on fast forward and just scribbled some shit down.
0: Yeah, there's definitely some character mistakes here. But what is it with these old VHS tapes and like describing the entire plot on the back of the box?
1: I don't know. I mean, all the previews are the same way, right? All the trailers...
0: I, I mean with a trailer, I can understand because maybe you saw that in the drive in and maybe you paid attention and maybe you still remember like six months later when it comes to your town, but on the back of a video box, you're in the video store holding it, presumably you're gonna watch it that night <laughs> not not anymore i uh, yeah it just it just seems odd um-
1: yeah like I guess that sums up most of the plot, sort of.
0: Yeah, and by the way, we are not going to do a standard or careful uh, walk through this episode. We're going to more generally talk about like the plot points and the characters as they come, uh, and I think that'll make sense if you've seen the movie. Anything else before we tra- play the trailer?
1: Hmm. Hey,
0: who would you recommend this movie to? Ah. Uh, <laughs> um. <laughs> I think if you're like an exploitation film completist, if you're a VHS collector, then you've probably seen this movie or heard of this movie. But otherwise, I don't know how accessible this movie is. I I think it's a great film, but I don't think it's really going to make like... If you're looking for a typical video nasty, like, gore fest, this is not it. No. If you're looking, if you're looking for a typical, like, rape, rape revenge movie, like, uh, I Spit on Your Grave, this, this is not that it. either. <laughs> if, if you're looking for a drama, this is a, this is a really fucked up drama, right? So, I don't know. You know your own taste. I actually, I heard about this movie decades ago um when i first started collecting tapes and i avoided watching it for years and years and years because i hate films that involve rape and i just have a really hard time watching them and so i thought that that would be this movie and then finally recently i came across a vhs copy and i was like okay i'm gonna watch it and i'm glad i did like i was really surprised but uh, I guess what I'm getting at is, if you know that this is a trigger for you, then you might want to avoid this movie.
1: Like, if you're the kind of person that's dead inside and and have trouble grasping feelings, and just need something, anything to stir anything inside you, this is probably a a safe a safe way to do it.
0: I, I will say that. If you're interested in experimental film, I think this is worth seeing because I'm not sure if they're intentional or not, but it's got experimental elements that are anchored by like really incredible acting. And I think it's, it might interest you for that reason.
1: Usually our episodes are a little more lighthearted. If you are starting if you are introduced to us via this episode this is uh this is gonna be a little bit of a different experience than our other our other trips into the yeah. video store nightmares
0: yeah maybe go back and listen to like cave of the sharks or something and then yeah and then come to this one um if you thought the baby was disturbing um then th- this
1: is the final boss of the video nasties list i can't imagine anything being worse than
0: this content
1: wise yeah
0: um all right with that let's play the trailer and then we'll get into it turn on
1: your television set find
0: out what's happening in the real world see it in black and white god made all of us perfect truly he did
1: how close do you want to be to the woman
0: in your life you don't know if it's true or not unless it's on television why was grandpa lost at sea i don't know because he was perfect, too good to live on land. Oh, who is she?
1: She's a witch come out of the sea. She's
0: not a witch, but she's beautiful. Turn around, you see him! so let's let's talk about our i'm not laughing because it's funny i'm laughing because if you don't laugh it hurts (laughs) yeah no i i I get it um (laughs) it hurts let's talk about molly's relationships first um so she has two nephews that she apparently spends a lot of time taking care of this is tad and tripoli and she is very concerned that they look up to their dead grandfather who she insists was lost at sea that he was a sea captain and as you heard in the trailer she said that he was too good for the earth uh, but that she might he he might still return and the mother or the um the boy's mother her sister says that he was like a drunk um that he was evil and he abused them and she still has pains from where he kicked her and this upsets molly a lot like she swears you're lying you're imagining this like he was he was perfect and whenever he is attacked like she says, no, he, you know, the boys ask if he had tattoos. She's like, no, he was a good man. You know, God made us perfect. And you don't want to spoil your skin with with marks that are permanent. So she lionizes and worships her father, the boy's grandfather. What did you think of this early on?
1: So first, I just want to say that I had no idea what I was getting into when I hit the play button. Okay I, I had absolutely no idea because I try not to read anything before going into any of these films that I haven't seen before. Um, no previews, no reviews, no nothing. Sometimes I'll read like a sentence um, of what starts the plot and that is it right um, I, I can tell you now that um, if you are going in looking at the front of the box, <laughs> you are you' are going to be very disappointed. Um, it's going to be very quick for you to realize that there is going to be no sorcery or witchcraft throughout this entire film.
0: No. So so maybe I started with the wrong question. When this film started out, what what were your impressions? Like how did what was the what was the tone of the film like and the look of the film?
1: I think that is a much better question to start. So I, I knew going into it that it was going to be a, l- a little disturbing, but I figured it was going to be more along the lines of what we've covered so far. And at first it starts off like that. You have a scene of Molly and her nephews walking on the beach. They have a normal family conversation and not even five minutes into the movie, you start to get the first shots of weird stuff happening, which is, you know, not atypical of what we normally cover on this podcast where she is watching a bunch of um, athletes muscle men work out on the beach using um, weights and uh, gymnastics equipment and at first it feels very sexual but then it slowly turns into Like a schizophrenic delusion where she starts imagining them uh, killed in various ways on the beach, usually involving the equipment. And that is that is the the setting tone for this film. So, you know, right off the bat that there's something not quite right with Molly and whether that is going to be something psychological or um, supernatural remains to be seen if you have not seen this before and have no idea what you're coming into. But spoiler alert, there is no mysticism throughout this entire film. It's all all psychological fuckery from here on out. And so she becomes very quickly a unreliable narrator. And I kind of made this like joke comparison to American Psycho in the beginning. And I actually can't help but compare this film to American Psycho. There's a lot of parallels. I don't know if we're going to end up discussing that a little bit more. I know you yourself absolutely hate American Psycho.
0: I would just say I'm not a fan. Um, But what what do you see as the major comparison?
1: So, I mean, both characters, both main characters are obviously very mentally ill. And they are very maladjusted for this consumerist environment that has been constructed for all Americans all over the country. But whereas, um, you know, American Psycho focused on like the vanity of the 80s and how you just had this um, like upper class of people in rich, cushy office jobs that weren't really contributing anything to society. They were just kind of like vacant Empty looking for anything to make them feel something I mean in the case of, of Patrick Bateman that was that was his chick. I, I think this girl is kind of in the same way except. Um, obviously, there are some there's some different knobs that are turning but I think that the gist is the same like instead of like 80s pop culture, you have um, this fascination with the, the the world of television and like Hollywood all of Molly's victims in this movie are like entertainment male sex icons
0: people she saw on tv first
1: yes and somehow coincidentally she just happens to be in the right social place to have access to these people i think that's a really convenient plot device but we'll let it slide
0: yeah i'm not i mean so much of this film seems unreal and dreamlike that i don't care too much about plot logistics
1: yeah i mean much like american psycho where um spoiler if you haven't seen or read the book um he actually has committed zero murders and it's all in his head um as a way of coping with his incredibly boring sterile life you know that you could probably make the argument that something similar happens here except there's more trauma behind it than brain chemicals
0: so with that first scene on the beach, we know that that those bodybuilders don't actually die. She's fantasizing that. But in the later murders, it's less clear. I am of the opinion that they all actually happen. Are you?
1: I I would assume so. But okay. really, who knows with this film, man? She is definitely unreliable as a point of view excuse me she is unreliable as a point of view
0: yeah one of the things that I want to talk about that I don't know if this is intentional to create her point of view or if it's bad editing but there are scenes that seem to come out of order
1: I can man I considered everything in this film intentional
0: yeah I, I mean I would like to and I think that it works to to like put the viewer off balance but because this is a low-budget film, I can't be sure, right? But for and example...
1: It's also... Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you, but this is also the 70s. You didn't really have a lot of films with this kind of narrative structure at the time. This was... I wouldn't say this is groundbreaking, because that makes it seem like other movies follow in it's dead, but it, it definitely seems like a first for this kind of narrative.
0: Well... Uh, for example, one of the the kind of thing I'm talking about is there's a scene where she is in her sister's house and she's drinking and then she closes her eyes and she seems to be fantasizing or dreaming. And we see her it, castrate and kill these two men. And then the next day, well, then then after that, it switches to her drinking again. So it seems like she's just fantasized all of this, but then the next day we find out that it actually happened.
1: Yeah. Uh, now that you mention it, I was also under the impression it was fantasized. Um,
0: and I mean, I think that's intentional. I think we're supposed to wonder whether these are fantasies or not. Um, there's another scene where she is talking to the actor, the razor blade commercial guy about talking to his girlfriend on the phone and telling her it, basically to get lost. But she tells him that before the point in the movie where like that would have taken place. Do you know what I'm saying?
1: Kind of. Um, like we we, don't... There's also um, a few scenes in the movie where she is apparently going to be at one place for the night, but then she somehow... I don't know, maybe with the power of witchcraft has um, appeared in other places at the same time.
0: Yeah, but see, so this is what I was getting at in my like prelude to the podcast is either this is bad editing or it's intentional to like put us in her mental state, which is not only psychologically disturbed, but increasingly inebriated as the film goes on from pain pills and alcohol and so maybe they're trying to put us in her point of view i think either way that's the the end result is we end up destabilized off focus seeing the world from her point of view confused and i think that's an asset to the movie i'm just not sure if it's intentional or not Hmm. but the reason i started out with that question about why she is so protective of the memory of or the fantasy of her father who we know from flashbacks was actually molesting her well we don't find that out for much later in the film but true and we only get like tiny glimpses of it when it it like as the film goes on we get longer and longer glimpses of it so it's not absolutely clear until close to the end uh but anyway, why do you think that, like, what do you think her mental state is here? What is her, what exactly has the father's abuse done to her psyche? I, I think that's central to understanding, like, why it is she's killing people.
1: So immediately after finishing this film, and, and I'm thinking back, trying to piece everything together, because there, there's a lot to take in with this movie. I, I just imagine this Jenga tower, right? Like you're playing this nice relaxing game of Jenga and your opponent, I guess in this case will be uh, the director, <laughs> Matt Cinder and his turns are basically removing very important structural pieces to the bottom of the tower. Yet somehow this tower is still standing and you don't know why. Watching this film, it's a movie, you know, it has beginning, middle, end, has all the traditional elements that you would expect, but it feels like there's something missing in the plot. And it's strange because I would file this under um, what we have begun to warmly referred to as character exhibitions i would i would file this under that category i think this is definitely a study this is a study
0: you feel like you came out with a better understanding of this character i think that i was in this character's mental state Hmm. and i don't think she understands herself So I don't think there's any way we can fully understand her. I think our job as a viewer is almost like a psychologist in this movie to attempt to understand how the different pieces you're talking about have created the psyche of the person we see.
1: Right. I mean, not all serial murder makes sense, right?
0: Yeah. And and. Uh, We don't have clear answers, but we do have a lot of pieces. Like, we know she lionizes her father even though he was abusive. We know she has a strange obsession with TV and the people on TV. We know that when it comes to men, she either worships them or hates them, and it can switch from one to the other uh, really quickly. We know that she has a... There are points where she seems to lose track of time or seems to have lost time where she thinks that what happened was a dream when in reality she really did things.
1: There are there are many contradictions in her character. Yeah. And I guess that's that's what I'm saying the missing pieces be. Like this does not fit together like a typical like a typical narrative that that you would read for entertainment enlightenment
0: (laughs) and and with and with a different actress it wouldn't have worked at all no but i have the i have the feeling that that she millie perkins the actress she did have answers to all those questions and she had a fully fleshed out idea of the character because otherwise i don't think her performance could be so convincing
1: yeah that's a good point um I mean, especially since her husband's the screenwriter, I'm pretty sure they probably uh, coordinated on the film or on the script.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I don't need to know all of that, right? Like, I I don't need to have the answers, but I do think it's interesting to talk about. Let's talk about the TV thing for a minute. So there's a commercial that plays repeatedly throughout the movie, and Molly says that the actor in it looks like her dad. And the actor in it is like standing naked with a woman and he's talking about a razor and saying like, I need a close shave to be close to the woman in my life. And you don't want to bruise your, your woman or something like that. Um, and in some scenes, this commercial makes Molly really upset. But at other points, she's like glued to the TV talking about how beautiful this man is
1: and we should mention that he looks absolutely nothing like her father.
0: Nope, nothing.
1: Not at not at all. Father has uh a husky body and a full sailor's beard.
0: Yep. And dark hair. This guy in the commercial has light hair. Uh but what do you think the point like in the for the filmmakers, what do you think the point of this commercial is? Cuz we see it like four times, five times.
1: I really think they're just trying to make a comment on like American consumerism or maybe I keep saying American, maybe just like Western consumerism in general or like capitalist commercial advertising as a whole, how powerful it can be to affect actions of the viewers, Mm -hmm. viewers behavior. They're, they're buying tendencies, right? Because if it didn't have that power, it just wouldn't exist. And what happens when you have someone as mentally maladjusted as Molly being um, driven by these messages?
0: That that's interesting because I had not. I don't. I didn't think of that at all. Um, I didn't think of this as a comment on consumerism or commercials at all. I just saw it as a an impact on Molly's psyche. She has this strange, like, puritanical nature where, like, she thinks tattoos are bad, but then later she gets one.
1: Well, she, she also says her father has no tattoos, and it's later revealed that he has the same exact mermaid tattoo. Actually, the, the flashback shows he has the same tattoo, but really who knows if he had it to ever begin with, right?
0: Right. So she's got this, this contradictory thing with the tattoos. Uh, she talks about how the actors on the commercial are beautiful, but then at other points she criticizes them for being naked. She seems puritanical about language, but then at other points like curses herself. She seems very much of like two minds and the commercial just seems to, to focus that it also um, constantly reminds us of razors, which she uses in her murders. Right? Yes. So I thought maybe it was just to keep our mind on like the fear of castration, perhaps.
1: Mm, perhaps. Although, um, I, I, I think I say this line a lot on the podcast. Maybe I'm just dense, but I didn't realize immediately that she, in her first murder scene that she castrated those two guys because you don't see it. You just, you see her below the camera and then the guy's like, ah, I'm like you don't really know what she's doing.
0: Yeah. But- the the first time I watched it, I, I wasn't quite sure. I thought that's what she was doing, but I wasn't 100%. But on this watch, I definitely that was definitely the implication and it was later on when she castrated the yeah the much actor. later on
1: but you, you find out from a police interrogation later that that is exactly what happened to those two so then there's absolutely no um, no argument and, But and- I should also mention that before she does it they're both football players that she managed to get a hold of and uh, he's He's like, yo, what's up with this razor? You know, stay away from my Achilles tendon because that was his livelihood. That was his job. Right. So I didn't quite know what she was cutting. (laughs) She was down there.
0: Well, when she is doing it, like it is off screen, you can't see it, but you can see her arm moving and she's like really sawing through. And she says something like this is going to take forever because it's a tiny little like safety razor.
1: Yeah. I should Uh mention that I read this. This is an edited version of the film they actually edited it down before they released it
0: well i saw that arrow put out a blu-ray recently that was uncut and it's like three minutes longer but i i i have not seen that i don't know what the difference is i tried to find out but i've only seen the vhs and then the version that's on amazon prime which i think they're the same
1: Uh, it's probably just a couple shots of testicles that were missing
0: (laughs) right <laughs> well this this castr- the first castration scene with the football players it yeah, it's unclear what she's doing, but it's like tough to watch. I think it's really it's really gruesome, and her attitude toward, uh, during it is so odd because she doesn't come across as particularly malicious. she comes across like she's just teasing and messing with them almost.
1: I mean that was that was the hook to get them to lower their to lower their defenses,
0: right? Well, but even once, <laughs> even once she has them tied up and gagged, she still it's it, it, she doesn't go like on a rant against men or something. She no, just no. So it's unclear even then what her motivation is or what she's feeling during that scene.
1: Yeah, there's no way you're getting a feminist message from this one.
0: No, no matter how hard you squeeze that stone. No, I don't think there is one. Let me ask you, do you think that Molly remembers killing these people or do you think she really forgets? Who knows? Because she she tells people she does not. And she seems genuinely shocked when she finds out that people have been killed, even when she committed the murders. That's true,
1: but I don't know if that's like a multiple personality thing or if we're just being just as manipulated as as the characters in the script.
0: I think that she, like in the beginning, is used to having these visions of horrible things happening. And so when she actually starts killing people, she's not aware at first that they're not also visions. That's the way I read it
1: that's just as good of an interpretation as any i mean really uh anybody who watches this is going to probably take away something slightly different
0: yeah this might be um i don't know how important this is but did you find it odd in that castration scene that she was with two men and one was white and one was black
1: yeah i noticed that i thought that was i i figured it was supposed to be intentionally taboo for the time the
0: yeah i'm i'm not sure if there was a message there or not um but i mean if that scene were in a movie today like the castration would be shocking but the race of the people would not be but yeah. in 1976 i think that would have been really shocking and 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 like you said taboo well, but based it...
1: on the director's prior you know works uh this was just another day at the farm for him
0: I don't I mean that that makes him sound awfully malicious. I, I don't know if he was if he had those intentions like exploitive intentions. Uh, I don't know.
1: All right, so here are a couple of the director's' films from uh, early on in his career. Uh, single room furnished not so bad, right Man and wife an educational film for married adults. All right, we see where this is kind of going. Africanus sexualis, AKA black is beautiful. All right. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. Uh huh. Um, and then you have, let's see, uh, the sensually liberated female sex and astrology, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, and a film about, um, (laughs) about big game hunting. Apparently you just followed around a big game hunter and filmed him killing giant, majestic African animals. Wonderful. interesting
0: well you might have a point i've seen like i've seen the black six the candy tangerine man lady coco those are the only three that come to mind immediately but what did you think about so after the castration scene the next day when she finds out quote unquote um that the football players were killed her first concern is that her nephews will hear about it at school and like be devastated to me this seemed the same as like it wasn't just that she wanted them to lionize their grandfather she wants to be very protective of the way they see all of their male heroes I think she calls them heroes Hmm. I don't know I don't know why but her chief concern is that they don't hear anything bad. And even even to her sister at one point, she's like, you know, even if those things about dad were true, you don't want, you want the boys to be able to respect their grandfather.
1: All right. So as as we're talking about this film, you know, the gears are turning, the hamster's running on the wheel and and i'm trying to you know put, make more sense of this film as, as we discuss it so it's it's apparent at this point that she pr- more than likely has at least two personalities like it the word schizophrenia or schizophrenic or mental illness is not present in this entire movie at all um and i think that's uh it's kind of jarring right you, you yeah think but of film, most films with this kind of theme are almost like a Michael Crichton novel where they you have some doctor on uh, in a shot, like explaining everything for the audience, but you don't have that here.
0: I don't know so, if that was the case in 1976. I think there was too, still too much of a stigma about mental illness and a lack of knowledge. Like, I think at that point, if someone was mentally ill, you just shoved them in an asylum and like tried to forget about it. Hmm
1: but what i'm getting at is um i think we can establish that she probably has two personalities right yeah the first is um this loving mother who reveres her her father as a brave and courageous sea captain the shining example of male masculinity and then you have the witch full of fury killing anything that reminds her of i guess any any masculine sexual power <laughs> just it has to go and you like you were saying earlier this transformation is just a snap away
0: let's talk about the only man that she seems to have a good relationship with <laughs> and and that's long john who long john. I get, I guess she lives with him at least most of the time. He's not her husband, as the back of the box says. I'm not even sure if they think of themselves as being in a relationship. Uh, But she seems to be with him most nights and says she loves him. But he, he seems able to go off with other men if she wants.
1: Speaking of taboo, this whole relationship, actually a lot of the sexual relationships in this film are anything but typical.
0: Yeah, how would you describe, like, what was your read on their relationship?
1: Well, first it started as co-workers, but... Right, because he's her boss. Yeah, but then it became apparent that they were at least in some kind of open relationship where, I don't know if he was seeing anybody else, but he certainly was allowing her to go out and experience other men. And Right, I'm at one sure, point... I'm not sure if that was like some like woke you know relationship moment or if he's just so so into her that he just doesn't care but I can tell you right now long john and just about every man in this film that comes across Molly's path you can have the, the CCCP flag set on fire and it still would not be as red as the flags that this woman is waving and no Nobody picks up on it. Everyone ignores them. Molly does not come off as well adjusted even when she is uh, in her normal moments. Like There's something off about her performance. Yet Long John and the celebrity and the football players, they just don't see it. They don't see it until it's way too late. Or in Long John's case, he sees it and just doesn't give a shit.
0: Well, I think he's concerned, but concerned for her in a fatherly way like i think he kind of looks out for her i think he knows that she's kind of off but doesn't think there's anything dangerous about it but also doesn't mind dicking her down yeah but (laughs) there's a few points where we can see that the people around molly can sense that like something is weird but i think the movie actually does a good job of showing us how they can move past it like you know they see her as sort of an oddity or like maybe she's joking and we just don't get her sense of humor or maybe she's confused but they seem to gloss over whenever she acts strangely but they do notice I think that's the way I read it why do you think that she was never why she never turned on long john
1: maybe for the sake of the script maybe he's in that magical gray area where he was just fatherly enough to remind her of her of the the, you know the father figure she revered but was also just enough of a of a strange man to just satisfy her sexual needs her romantic needs
0: and at what point in the movie do you think he realized she was killing people well definitely when
1: she woke up in or when he woke up and saw her in bed covered in blood
0: right she said it was, was she said she tried to cut off her tattoo
1: yeah she said it was her blood she tried to cut her tattoo off that um have we even brought that up yet? We're we're jumping over, all around just as much as the movie narrative.
0: Yeah, it's 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 not easy to like explain the plot of this movie and walk through it. Hmm.
1: But at one point, she does get a tattoo of a mermaid on herself. From it's a, a
0: terrible tattoo,
1: terrible tattoo from a uh, dude that's clearly on a sex offender registry.
0: <laughs> John, yeah, it, the...
1: is it John Dracula or Jack Dracula?
0: i wrote it in my notes uh jack dracula 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 (laughs) well (laughs) jack dracula uh the first time molly sees him i think she actually screams
1: yeah she screams and runs away with her nephews who are looking in the window talking about how cool tattoos are
0: so yeah he's kind of scary looking but shoot i lost my train of thought so yeah she gets this tattoo that's exactly like the one we see her father had and she she wants to make sure he's placing it perfectly like not going too far down into her crotch and he says something like yes it's gonna arise from the the wavy curls or something yeah, like, like the that.
1: black wavy curls let's see i think i wrote it down <laughs>
0: It was one of the oh, few
1: it will rise from the curly black sea.
0: Yeah, that's one of the few times in the movie when I really um laughed. You you really need those moments. <laughs> yeah. Because right after that, when she's talking to the tattoo artist, she says that her and her dad used to quote get lost at sea. And she says we got lost at sea so many many times and then we see a scene that suggests the father is having sex with the little girl like we see his legs entangled with hers
1: again big adult feet and small child legs it's uh it's pretty uncomfortable
0: yeah and you have to wonder like what did they tell the actress that she was doing in that scene um
1: We made a joke a lot in the early episodes of this podcast. Well, I made it. I guess you just endured it where you would have adults playing children. And why was that? You know, is it just to, you know, not have to deal with child labor laws or what? Right. And it's this. This is this is exactly why they do it. So you're not so you're
0: not put in this situation. Yeah, it's it's very uncomfortable. Let's talk about where the title comes from. So Molly is having a conversation with this actor who really wants to go to bed with her. His name is Billy. And he's having a party. And he has a, a print of Botticelli's Birth of Venus painting on his wall. And he tells her the story of Venus being a witch that came out of the sea and he's, yeah in, in typical
1: mansplaining fashion he gets the story wrong yeah so is a witch
0: yeah but he does say that she came about when someone cut off her father's balls and the sperm dripped into the ocean and she was born um and Molly is very offended by this. She's like, who did that to her father? You, why? You're lying. All right. She gets very upset, and it's clear that the story has disturbed her. What what do you think the the significance of this conversation is?
1: Man, maybe they're just trying to get that that castration imagery in. Like I it get- it's it's not the inspiration for her murders. Well, it might be. If if you assume that everything's out of order because she's already committed two murders at this point, right? In that fashion, Um, I should mention in the actual myth, um, I was was a Latin nerd in high school. Um, The actual myth, you know, it's it's the entire genitalia that's lopped off.
0: The um, which I that's what I imagined she was doing to people in the movie, but maybe not. I don't know. We don't see it. Uh, I think she's just taking
1: the coin purses, man
0: so what do you but do you think that there's a meaning here like do you think that the movie wants us to see birth of venus as a like allusion for the the story or a significant symbol like is there any significance here
1: so i guess to really look at this we have to look at her origin story assuming we can take her word for it which is um, I guess, spoiler, we're going to jump to the end of the film. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So she is basically cornered. All of her friends know what's going on. The police are coming after her. Everything is done. So she, so much like the back of the box um, told us earlier, she confesses and talks about her abuse by her grandfather, or by her father. And she mentions that after, well, well, she mentions, uh, maybe that's not the right term. At some point during one of these, uh, during the final abuse incident, her father has a heart attack and dies on top of her.
0: Yeah, horrifying.
1: Horrifying. Um, And the the imagery leading up to it is also horrifying because you have this child that is... um, very apathetic to what's going on as if this is such a regular occurrence there is nothing special about it anymore Um, and is one of the again this is the reason this film needs a content warning is all of these scenes at some point after this happens the ship wrecks it sinks and you get glimpses of molly remembering what it was like being on a fragment of the ship that was floating waiting for rescue right. so perhaps you can draw the parallel of that scene to botticelli's painting the origin story of of aphrodite okay that, now that doesn't necessarily involve any genitalia falling into the ocean um uh, i mean i guess uh, the, hus- the the father undoubtedly uh sank to the bottom
0: well, it's interesting that she is so bothered by this, even though it's similar to what she's done. Like, a part of me was thinking, well, maybe this shows that tamale castration is in part an act of creation, like, there's something. Um, positive in it or there's some sort of renewal in it. But that doesn't make sense because no. she is not inspired by it. She's horrified by it.
1: I think that's just personality A. Yeah. Being like, hey, you know, I would never do that. That's an awful story. Meanwhile, personality B is taking notes for later.
0: Yeah. that uh, I guess that's a fair reading. It's interesting. So around this time, she she actually gets into a relationship with this actor, uh, Mick Peake, who is the actor from the Razor commercial. What did What did you think of their connection? I
1: mean, it was just purely sexual. I don't think there. She was starstruck for for whatever reason about that Razor commercial, and he just played off it yeah he even like dumped his supermodel girlfriend on the fly for molly and this is what i'm talking about ignoring red flags like she says some really whack stuff before he even drops the supermodel just totally ignores all the red flags
0: yeah and then this is this is one of the things I was talking about he she tells him about talking to the supermodel on the phone and telling her like to take a freighter to China that she was going to murder her like but but at that point we don't actually know that she had spent the night with him. We only find out she spent the night with him and would have been home to answer the phone later. But all of that should be like a yeah, a red flag that I am I'm done with this girl. Like it shouldn't
1: even have got started.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think there is a I don't want to sound harsh, like I think there is a sympathetic, positive way to be involved with her that like Long John has managed to capture. But this is not the girl that you pursue for a casual sexual relationship no not in the slightest right because you're just putting yourself in danger there's a lot of this is around the time the movie she gets the tattoo and there's a lot of talk about her seeing herself as the little mermaid and you know cutting off her tail in order to have legs
1: oh god i forgot about that yeah split the tail up the middle to get legs yeah so is this supposed to be like she's trying to uh act like people to <laughs> to be accepted by people?
0: I don't know. I I mean her dad, I guess, is the one that called her the Little Mermaid or read The Little Mermaid to her. And I almost saw the the creation of legs as like the loss of her virginity. Hmm. Like this is maybe this is how her dad explained to her that like what he was doing which is really horrifying to think about but
1: yeah well i I definitely didn't consider that but uh yeah makes sense
0: yeah so that's that's how i thought about it at least um on my second viewing uh and it just reminds you that like outside the disney version which would not have had come out yet when this movie was made (laughs) uh the little mermaid's actually a really disturbing story
1: uh, he, I mean, a lot of those Disney movies have origins and disturbing stories. That's that's nothing new. Yeah. Um. Like Pocahontas. How did that happen? How did you how did you manage to to fit in a talking tree and a raccoon to that story?
0: Uh, I don't know. I, I actually mean, never I actually never saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I never saw Pocahontas. Uh,
1: you're not missing anything. All right. Well, let's not get derailed on Disney films.
0: Yeah. So let's go towards the end. Uh, this, I think, is a really significant conversation. This is where Long John finally confronts Molly and asks her straight up, like, "Did you kill McPeak?" Because they, the police, are looking for her at this point. And she said, she says something like, "How do you know he's dead? Is it on television?" And he's like, "What does that have to do with anything?" <laughs> Right. And then he says, did you kill him? And she says, why would I? He's a star. This is that strange, like, relationship she has with TV. Like, it's not real if it's not on TV.
1: This television is in the background of a lot of scenes in this film. Yeah. um, There's a point where the actor in the Razor commercial speaks to her directly. Right
0: yeah yeah and he actually he's he demonstrates the fantasy version demonstrates like cutting his throat with the razor which is exactly what she does later to the actor
1: yeah that was a pretty serious foreshadowing
0: she says she eventually says why wouldn't i kill the bastard every time you turn around you see him stark naked grinning at me he's not my father what the hell do you think he's asking for?" this is the scene in the movie where it all comes to a head. And like, we see all of these different psychological influences like at play in Molly, but none of it is linear or clear. I I don't have a firm understanding of what exactly it means to her for him not to be her father. does that mean he can't ask for sex. Does that mean that he is not perfect? Like, I don't know what that means exactly. But this is the scene where we see him have the heart attack and collapse on top of her. Which, like, how traumatizing is this, even for the actress? Because we do not leave this scene. We see her, like, struggling to get out from under his body. Yeah. She follows this up by saying, doesn't it matter that I didn't hate any of them? Meaning the people she killed. I don't know this is a I don't really know how to talk about this character but she's fascinating to me like this is one of the more interesting character studies I think I've ever seen in terms of trying to grapple with what makes this character who she is but anyway at this point you're, you're never you're never gonna
1: be satisfied with the justification because because there isn't like logic or reason behind this
0: well and i'm not really asking for there to be like i'm what i'm saying is a positive right but but when
1: but when like i was watching this film i i was looking for that (laughs) because i think stereotypically that's what we want in in even our like crime drama stories right we want some semblance of balance and reason like yeah the world is cruel but at least there's a logic to it and it doesn't exist here
0: well and i think we often think of like a sign of a good story is that it's logical and that like in a law and order episode of an hour i can understand the exact psychological influences that led this person to commit crimes but I don't like that's not how real psychology usually works the the human mind is not that causal like it's much more complex otherwise like psychoanalyst wouldn't be a thing right like they wouldn't have jobs so in some ways like i I write fiction at times, and I try to I try to do what this movie has done, which is to create a character that does not feel explainable or logical but does feel real to me anyway
1: yeah on on that note, this movie is a complete success from a screenwriting standpoint
0: so what let's let's start to wrap this up. What did you think of the ending? Um basically Long John and Molly's coworker let her commit suicide like they give her pills and she says I should have taken I should take more pills shouldn't I and Long John says yes and then we see her like floating out to sea on a sailboat
1: Yeah she is uh she's definitely being enabled but I feel like uh Long John and maybe to a lesser degree, her coworker who has a name—I um, don't even know if it's brought up in the movie. Uh, Peggy. Yeah, I didn't yeah. catch her name. Whatever, blonde girl. Um, sorry, but, sorry, but, <laughs> blonde girl actress.
0: <laughs> if you ever listened to this, you're still important to the to the story. She wants to run. She wants to like go hide out at someone else's house.
1: But I feel like all of Molly's friends like low key enabled her. This entire film, and yeah, then sure. enable this. Yeah, I don't know if you want friends like this. Well, maybe you you want friends like this when you want to get away with murder, but otherwise, I don't think you want friends like this.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm somewhat sympathetic to Long John's position in enabling her suicide it's, because, like, it's, th- it's euthanasia. It's it's a way to
1: escape prison and possibly a slow,
0: protracted wait on death row. Well, also think about it like we are spending an hour and a half on a podcast trying to understand this woman. Um, The justice system is not going to understand her. A jury is not going to understand her. And Long John knows that. If she does go on trial or go to jail, then her nephews will come to know her as a murderer, which she does not want, right? By letting her take this way out he allows them to have some sort of romanticized view of her um, which i don't know that that's a good thing but that's what she wants and her nephews watch it (laughs) yeah they do and at, at at this point do you think the nephews know that like she is not the person that they have thought she was
1: I don't think so. I think they are completely kids in this situation. They have no idea what's going on. But there's a point where even they are feeding her like vodka and questionable medication.
0: Yeah, there's a um, there's actually a really, I found it a disturbing scene where the the mother is telling her kids that Molly has killed people and they they tell her she's a liar and that they don't believe her and that they don't believe her story about grandpa either, that he's lost at sea. And it's clear that they have bought all of the stories that Molly has told them. And we can see, like, I guess the harm of Molly's glamorization or romanticization yeah. of the of the past.
1: Yeah, aunt, aunt Molly's way cooler than you, Mom, but somehow taken to the nth degree.
0: Right, I mean, even, even she says, like, they love you more than me. Like, she acknowledges it. But to the point where you think your mom is lying to you because your aunt has fed you this bullshit your whole life? Like, yeah, that... That was disturbing to me. I think a lesser
1: film would have had uh, Molly causing some kind of uh, physical harm to her nephews. But it never comes to that. Yeah. she is very protective of them, um, especially in the end.
0: So I'm just looking to see if there's anything else I wanted to bring up before we get to reviews. Don't think so. Anything else you want to touch on before we, we rate this? I don't think so. Um, let me double check.
1: I still can't believe this actress was Anne Frank. <laughs> like normally, I have like like little jokes that I've written as I'm watching this thing. I'm like, oh, I could find funny things to say. I had none of that. I had none of that for this movie.
0: Yeah, um, it's really not <laughs> something you just make light of. Uh, I remembered something to talk about. One thing that I thought
1: was um, pretty effective at it being jarring during the hallucinations on sea or the flashbacks on the sea was uh the the seagull screeching do you remember this like yeah and characters were talking or yelling but you couldn't hear them because all all there was overlaid was just constant
0: seagulls yeah and the seagull screeching would bleed into normal scenes yes uh Yeah, I thought that was very effective. The other thing about all of those flashback scenes, as well as the fantasy scenes, that I thought was really interesting is the sound, like the dialogue sounds like it's being recorded from in a cave or something, but it's also echoey, like it's muted and echoey. Did you notice that?
1: Yes, um, it was echoey, much like the flashback in The Child,
0: but done correctly. Right. In The Child, it's impossible to understand what they're saying. Here, it actually creates a disturbing, off-putting sort of fantasy vision.
1: The first time it happens, it's um, almost immediately after they start doing hits of whatever drugs are in their pipe. So I thought it was supposed to simulate their like uh inhibited uh, you know senses with the echoey but it it persists outside of that scene in other parts of the film
0: yeah no i think they're just smoking weed but it's gave me the impression that what i was seeing was not real that it was another one of her fantasy visions like on the beach but then as we said you find out that the the next day that it it actually happened yeah yeah i think I think both of those things the the sounds of those flashbacks and those fantasy visions really add to the effectiveness of those scenes
1: and as you know any Floridian can attest to um getting bombarded by seagulls at the beach because you have a piece of bread is a really horrifying experience
0: yeah I guess uh go watch the birds or uh or birdemic, if you want to laugh. But go ahead and give your final thoughts and a rating out of four.
1: I stand by my by my Jenga tower metaphor. That said, I don't I don't know if it actually hurts the film or not. The fact that you'll never have all the answers. I mean, it certainly hasn't hurt. Other, other movies we've watched on this podcast, but this is definitely something you will will try to put together. For sure, Um, after you've watched it, try to make some sense of it. Yeah, not all all serial murder makes sense. I think I said that earlier. Um, There was a, I mean, this is probably just one of hundreds of of cases that are like this, but there was a case in college that I studied where this uh, very, very schizophrenic homeless man would um, hallucinate a dragon following him around, a flying dragon in the sky, and the only way that it would uh, that it would leave him alone is if he killed people that he, you know, it it indicated to him, and it took police a few murders to to finally figure out and catch this guy because there was no rhyme or reason to his victims, like he was just picking them at random because this dragon was telling him this is what he needed to do and i and you know you don't really see hollywood media about this you don't really see movies with that kind of logic and this uh, the witch who came from the sea totally flies in the face of all of that and says here (laughs) this this is this is what it's like when mental illness turns a uh, criminally deviant i definitely did not regret watching this but i was not ready um it qualifies as a video store nightmare probably the video store nightmare like imagine picking up this vhs based on the box art again expecting spells sorcery fantasy like dark magic and then bam you just get criminally deviant Mental illness and child molestation on the high seas. this undoubtedly um, traumatized some viewers out there who picked this up, not knowing what they were getting into, assuming they apparently they didn't read the back of the box, which had the entire synopsis. but even then, I don't think that that really does justice to the bizarre imagery i'm I'm really on the fence about this one. Um, on one hand, I think. a a sign of a great movie is is how it affects you how it makes you feel does it make you feel anything and uh, this movie definitely does make you feel things not necessarily things you want to feel but they're there and it's questionable whether some of this stuff should have been filmed at all again the the child actor is actually a child and this became again i don't think it ever got this extreme again but it became like a a shtick for her she she was then like a child victim in a lot of other movies following this i'm giving this a tentative three stars because i i do feel like this is a a very distinctive one-of-a-kind film i i don't i don't think it's quite like a work of art or work of genius or anything like that but it is very distinctive and as as luke said earlier in the podcast if you are exploitation completist this this is the last boss for your 100% trophy (laughs) for your Xbox achievement
0: yeah a lot of people talk about this being like like they're confused why this is on the video nasty list or why it was and um, no I get it I, I mean I've seen a lot of exploitation film and and a lot of different content and Like, yeah, cannibal films can be disturbing, but this is much more real than that. Um, And it feels more real. Uh, Before I get into my review, I wanted to read, I've read from Stephen Thrower's book, Nightmare USA, before. uh, But he has a, a several page long review of this. And I wanted to read this one paragraph. He says the witch who came from the sea feels hewn from late night conversations, private reminiscences. It drifts and sways like seaweed, like thoughts in a cannabis fugue. The structural timber of the horror genre is cast adrift. Horror. Overt horror, at least, is concentrated in the early part of the film, and what follows is a sad, sleepy tidal shift into psychological portraiture. Imagery and illusion are uppermost in the latter half, and a first late-night viewing of the film may yield nothing the morning after except a few images in a morbid afterglow. The movie changes the metabolism of its genre, the scares are oblique, the overall tone languid. Matt Simber would be derided four or five years later when his Piazadora vehicle butterfly hit the screen. I rather enjoyed that one too, but The Witch Who Came From the Sea is in another league, a genre masterpiece deserving of a much higher profile. And a lot of that I agree with. Um, I think that what stays with you in this movie is the tone, the look of the film and the performance of Emily Perkins, which has got to be one of the most convincing, I think, performances of psychological illness and uh, psychopathic behavior that I think has ever been in a movie. And I think that this is definitely, for better or worse, uh, the most disturbing scenes of child abuse that I've seen in a film. I think this film is really effective. I don't know how much of it's intentional. I don't know... The people involved, with the exception of the writer, I don't think did much that was successful. Outside of this. So that leads me to think maybe it's kind of an accidental genius, but it's still very effective at putting you in the mindset of Molly, of making you unsure of what's really happening and what's fantasy. It creates a very effective mood and imagery that lasts. Like, I won't forget this movie. And There's a whole lot of horror and exploitation films that are hard to remember. I I don't think this one is. I definitely think this is one of the best unicorn releases, which is one of my favorite video labels, um, many of you know. But this feels almost out of place in their catalog because I think that it's its own unique creature. I really struggle with what to give this to, but because it's created such an imprint on my mind, I'm gonna give it four stars. After I saw it for the first time, I would have given it three, but I reinforced a lot of my my first time feelings um, seeing it a second time. And I look forward to doing um, the writer's Cult of the Damned in the future, because I love that one as well.
1: It is uh, a completely different film.
0: Yeah, but can't I can see the connection. I can see the stylistic connection. We'll talk about it when we get to that one. For next week, uh, we are not doing Cult of the Damned. Um, we are doing the now incredibly famous low-budget zombie oddity, The Video Dead, from 1987. Uh, Leland, you have never seen this movie, right? I have not. And it's kind of a surprise that I haven't. So I'll tell the story of how I originally saw this movie next week. But this is like a comfort film for me. Um, If I'm if I just want something to fall asleep to or if I want something that I don't really have to pay attention to, but is going to entertain my, you know, the back of my mind or if I want to just hang out with some characters, uh, The Video Dead is a, is a surefire uh, choice. So I really like this film, and I know there's lots of people out there who really love it. Uh, the, the VHS has certainly gotten expensive, so I know there are collectors out there um, who really treasure this one. So hopefully everyone will enjoy that conversation. If you have not seen it, check it out. Uh, I think it's available on Amazon Prime, but it's also on YouTube. It's I think it's gotten a DVD release at this point. I think it actually got a DVD release where it was paired with uh, it was uh, it got a DVD release where it was paired with Terror Vision, which is an odd and yet fitting combination. So anyway, easy film to view. Uh, unlike- yeah, that,
1: it, it is the uh, warm safety blanket we need after this episode
0: yeah um enjoyable film to watch easy film to find unlike 10 years ago where this was impossible to see unless you had the vhs um, so with all that said join us next week for the video dead until then you can find us on instagram at video.store.nightmares where i post everything that we do um leland do you have any last words
1: thank you for your continued
0: support Thank you. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to us. That will help us out. And we will see you next week for The Video Dead. Bye.